Hi, hello, my name is Maris and welcome to my show, Critical Root Zone, where we dig deep with inquiring minds to get to the root of sustainability, going below the surface to rebuild trust while supporting all voices on our journey to a climate positive planet. And so my guest for this next series on energy is one of my favorite people to be around, Professor Dodd Galbraith. So Dodd has founded the Institute for Sustainable Practice and is the director of the graduate programs at Lipscomb University. And we're gonna get to know a lot more about him and what he's done in maybe more than this, 37 years of sustainability. He'll let me know if this is uh, if this is a correct uh, number of years because I feel like your whole life, his whole life has been dedicated to sustainability. And um, I'm just super excited to talk to him because we've been friends for a while and um, it's it's fascinating all of the conversations I've already had with him and I'm pumped to do it on air. Welcome back to Critical Root Zone when I am here with my friend and mentor, Professor Dodd Galbraith. Um, for episode one, we talk all things Dodd. So if you want to know about more about him and his background, I highly encourage you to go back and check that one out. And episode two, we dig into fossil fuels, simplify it, talk a lot about um, what they are and if you, uh, yeah, fossil fuels, period. Episode three. Green energy, renewable energy, sustainable energy. What is it and uh, how does it all tie in? That's where we are today. So episode four here with Professor Dodd Galbraith. Thank you for being here. We're Glad gonna, to be. We're going to tie it all in and this is the finale. It's been so much fun already. Um, and I think we've got so much good. We've got so much good content already. But this one I'm super excited about um, because we started to kind of scratch the surface of Yes, we know what's happening, right? We, we have known what's happening. Science tells us this is what we need to change. This is what we need to do. But there's a lot of politics involved. And in our country where I feel like we have the most advantages, right? We have, we have the most will and power to make these changes. Yeah. Um, and you don't see them happening fast enough. And you worked in government. Mm-hmm. Um, you have... You have experience there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard you say before that you wanted to make, you, you got out of government to make a little bit of a different impact. And, and, and could you expand a little bit about that and like what you mean by that? Yeah. I, um, you know, when I, when I first entered government, government I, I was with an agency called the Soil Conservation Service that was created by Franklin Delano Roosevelt after the Dust Bowl. And it was a very successful agency because its model basically was um, oriented around local uh, citizens in a community telling federal officials that they approve of the science and the technology that they were using to protect the land and to restore the land where it had become eroded away and in many cases severely damaged. And um, that local governing system created a partnership uh, that allowed these uh, so-called federal agents, you know, to to prosper and, and to be trusted as neighbors. And you know, I'd, early on, I'd, you know, some of my personal techniques involved, you know, if if I had um, a farmer who 
had never really adopted the practices that most of the other farmers had adopted, I would go out to that individual's house at night in my own vehicle and I'd eat supper with them or I'd sit on the front porch with them. And, and eventually, you know, I might win one or two over. And, uh, um, you know, in other situations, um, you know, I, I would I'd be working on a project. We'd be having meetings uh, in a small church in the middle of a small rural community. And we'd hit a roadblock and I'd end up calling the local road commissioner and saying, you know, why are we not making any progress? And he'd say, well, so-and-so is coming to your meeting and they're pretending to be happy, but they're not. And I said, well, how do we make this person happy? Because I didn't know she wasn't happy. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and we fixed it and we, and we began to make progress again. So these relationships that I learned later working for two governors of Tennessee and, and, you know, interacting with United States senators and with CEOs and with uh, various officials, four mayors of Nashville. You know, this relationship process is, has always been kind of the answer to our problems. What, what, one of the reasons why I decided to leave government was, you know, frankly, I just kind of, I kind of uh, lost the patience <laughs> to deal with, you know, the, the, the tribalism that was beginning to emerge because I actually had, you know, people I'd known since high school and lobbyists that I worked with who told me, you know, if I've learned if I don't go into your um, consensus building meeting, I don't have to compromise. I just don't show up. And it used to be that there was enough pain associated with not doing that that people would eventually show up. Mm. The kind of problems that we're dealing with in society today are um, are uh, so diffuse and so distributed that the pain comes in little tiny increments, or at least in, in increments that are not large enough to, to make everyone go back to the table and compromise. So we'll get a big hurricane on the coast, but that only affected New Orleans, you know, mm -hmm. and it didn't really hurt the entire nation's economy. It only hurt their economy, you know. But you know, maybe it got Walmart's attention and maybe the CEO, CEO of Walmart realized, hey, my supply chains are, are really damaged here. We can't have this happen again. Let's, let's get involved in this climate discussion. Mm. And, and they did for that very reason. But it didn't reverberate as fast as, say, the Dust Bowl caused things to be reverberated or yes. that soil erosion all over the nation and that green discharge water coming out of industrial plants and black skies being created from air pollution. You know, those things kind of came home fast and they were also being created by smaller tribes of individuals, you know, so the rest of society as a whole could kind of coalesce around a consensus and they could say, you know, we're going to ask industrial dischargers and and um, uh, we're going to ask, uh, uh, you know, uh, farmers, you know, to do their part because the rest of us need to depend upon, you know, their success. Right. And we're going to subsidize it in some cases or we're going to stage it in. We're going to scale it up slowly so we don't bankrupt them in the process. The problem now is that we're all individually emitting CO2 and we don't want to vote against ourselves. We don't want to incentivize ourselves. We don't want to regulate ourselves because every one of us are part of the problem and part of the challenge. That makes me think of Dr. Catherine Hayha. <laughs> you know, I read her book twice now. Yeah, like, yeah. I love uh, this woman who I got to meet because you invited me to her amazing talk at Lipscomb. And I got to read her book. I got a signed copy. Thank you, Dr. Hayho. I'd love for you to be on my show sometime. We're just going to throw that out there. Um, 
But what she talks about is exactly what you're talking about. Um, there's this disconnect between what we we don't physically feel or see, right? We turn on a switch mm -hmm. and a light goes on. Mm -hmm. um, but when that's taken away, mm -hmm. right? And I've experienced in some of the snowstorms here in Nashville, I, my power has gone out multiple times. And... Um, and I live in a subsidized area, right? And there's the environmental justice aspect too. And certain people are getting hit harder with these, uh, with the backlash of the smaller groups of people creating a lot more of these carbon emissions. Or, but the the private groups that are actually kind of um, changing the direction. I think that's really interesting. You mentioned Walmart, like. Yeah. Walmart has such has so much power, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, Mike Vandenberg mm -hmm. is the person that uh, I was kind of alluding to earlier, mm -hmm. and his um, his whole research has alluded as well to these ideologies, these political tribes that have created this um, allegiance mm -hmm. to whatever someone says because they're a Republican or they're a Democrat or mm -hmm. they just don't believe, they don't believe it because Al Gore said it and mm -hmm. he's a Democrat. So mm -hmm. we, we can't, we can't believe what he said. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's a lot of power in the private industry that we can, that we can use as a consumer. But I guess what I'm trying to, to say is how do we have, how do we have power as, as an individual, right? Yeah, and yeah. As, on a micro level that, that creates this macro because um, it, it seems, again, it feels so heavy. It feels so big that it's, why? Why mm -hmm. do we even worry mm -hmm. about it? Because mm -hmm. it's going to happen anyway. It's going to this, it's going to that. Yeah, I, I often try to simplify it for my students in, in terms of, you know, like when I'm teaching a particular class, I tell them, I want you to learn this in three levels. You know, I want you to learn it as a citizen. You know, how you vote is informed by these classes. Uh, uh, and you need to use that knowledge in the people that are leading us and people you select to lead us. And then the second level is how, how do you consume? You know, are you going to buy plastic or are you going to buy something that can be endlessly, infinitely recyclable and, and that will be food for something when it wears out or that will be a technical nutrient for the economy that will never wear out? You know, it'll, it'll never have to be buried like plastic is often. And, uh, and then the third level is, you know, what you bring as a professional to the equation. And that's why most of them are in grad school, and that's why you and I are here today. We're professionals. We're mature adults. We're expected to add value to society, not just as citizens, but as participants in modern society. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have expertise. And how we use that expertise and how we serve people is, is pretty critical. Now, the, the reason I, I gave, I frame it like that is because of the reality that, um, that I normally start with when I, when I give this answer, and that reality is something like this. Uh, a few years ago, I did a test of my own carbon footprint, and I found out that like everybody else, I was using like 4.4 or 4.3 or 4.5 planets with my behaviors. So I changed my lifestyle, and I got it down to about 2.5 or 2.3 planets. Well, that's not bad. Well, that's an extra planet more than I'm supposed to be consuming, wow. or at least my piece of it. And I kept asking myself the question, why can't I get this lower? 
oh, it's because I'm not living off the grid. I'm not way out in the wilderness, you know, catching fish and eating deer in a regenerative way that's not depleting fish and deer populations. <laughs> and, and I'm heating with regenerative wood that's not depleting the forest on the landscape. If I were living that way, I could, I could be below that planetary consumption level. But because I'm connected to a society with infrastructure and pipelines that run across state lines and rivers that run across state lines and, you know, interstate shipping of goods and services that were made in California that are sold in a store here in Tennessee. That's a that's a, a an efficient economy, but it's incredibly wasteful in terms of environmental impacts, in terms right. of CO2 emissions. You know, why should we be burning something that will never be on this planet again to take strawberries from California to Tennessee when we grow them in Tennessee, you know? Wow. So, you know, we're going to have to reorder this. And the way we order we reorder this, the only way we can reorder this is not by what we individually buy. It's by how we vote, what we individually buy, and how we behave as professionals in a larger tribe. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, policy. And see how it's just interwoven mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It's it's how you vote. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. That is, that is something. Um, I love that. Mm-hmm. Can we say it again? It's how you vote, yeah. how you consume, yeah. and how you are a professional in the world. Yeah, that's it. Those are the three how you, things. You can even say how you live as a professional. How I mean, you that, live. How you live and serve. How you and, set an example. Exa- exactly. To others. Exactly. Be the example. Inspire others to be uh, better. That's yeah. what we say every single yeah. episode, right? Yeah. I'll give you a little success story. Ready? Yes. Um. I just saw my dad for the first Thanksgiving in six years. Wow, that's was, a big deal. It was a blessing. I'm glad it was a blessing. It's, uh, it's, it's created to be a blessing. It doesn't have to be a blessing in order to protect ourselves from situations that are uh, still struggling to become better. It was a gift. But I'm glad it did. It was a gift. And, um, and you know a lot about me, so I know you know that speci- it was special for my dad and me to get together. And yeah. he is a, an old-fashioned guy. And he doesn't really know a whole lot he about was, sustainability. He was surprised to learn about your interests, huh? <laughs> he knows a lot about it. He doesn't say a whole lot. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's a very good listener. Mm-hmm. And we had this uh, beautiful weekend, and we went to the grocery store together. Oh. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, I used to take my students to Target and say, pick something here that you could throw on the ground and it will it will be food for something six months from now I like that it's hard to find well, we were in the we were on reusable bag topic okay so I this is one of the most simple things I think anyone and everyone can can do is just avoid plastic bags like mm-hmm. the plague mm-hmm. it's a real easy thing to do mm-hmm. and I know it's hard to remember them sometimes but habits only get created when you continuously mm-hmm. try mm-hmm. to do it mm-hmm. and so I asked my dad I said hey I got reusable bags. You want to use reusable? No, I don't. I don't use those. Oh, well, I do. So I'm gonna go grab mine. And um, you know, he we we drove to the grocery store and I asked him why he didn't use reusable bags. He said, "Well, it's just it's just not convenient." I was like, "Well, that's an honest answer, and I appreciate that, that right? Like honest, that's very honest answer. That's what people most people would say mm-hmm. to me, um, or not say, right? Most people wouldn't say that. So thanks, Dad, for your honesty." We went to the store, and I, I ended up packing all of our groceries in, into these reusable bags. And we got home, and we didn't really talk much else about it. Um, but the next day, we had another conversation, and he said, you know, I might I might just go invest in some reusable bags. And I think it was how I was able to have that conversation with him and, and not attack him. Yeah. Um, and not 
make him feel worse yeah, yeah, about it. Yeah, just but an example of... of sometimes uh, that shame really fuels us to just continue in that bad habit. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I think you may be not giving yourself a full break there by saying the word shame. I, I, did, you, did you use the word shame? Yeah, just then? yeah. yeah I, I think you're selling yourself short because I, I've been around you. I, I know how contagious, you know, your passion is and your 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 uh, dedication and you back it up with knowledge and pe- people respect that. Sometimes it's a it's a awkward in- interaction. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I mean I mean to, it to be well and I think people understand that about me once they get to know mm-hmm. me or they know mm-hmm. me beforehand and then they're like, "Oh, wow, you are passionate mm-hmm. about that." Mm-hmm. But why aren't you yeah. right? Like this is our 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 world, not mine. This isn't just my world. This is our world. Yes. Yeah, some somebody told me one time something really interesting when I was really screwing up in life. He said, "Dodd, he says you're only responsible for cleaning up your side of the street, my behavior. You know, so so how I behave is the best sermon. It's the best sales pitch. It starts there. Yeah. We're back to and foundations. That's what you did. We're back to foundation. We're back to the basics. Um, and so that's that's a great segue into uh, how how do we consume energy in Tennessee? Can we talk real quick about TVA yeah. and what that is? Yeah, yeah that's We're, a real hot topic right now. Too, let's by the way. talk about that real quick, and then I'm mm-hmm. going to try and get some of the questions in from yeah. some of my friends. But, yeah. yeah, TVA, what is that? Oh, gosh. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's... Um, it's this wonderful opportunity to do good. It, it, it was created by Franklin Delano Roosevelt as part of the New Deal, um, it, you know, along with his solutions for the Dust Bowl. Uh, a senator from Nebraska created this federal, immense federal project that electrified Tennessee that also created, uh, helped to create electricity to um, uh, energize the Manhattan Project uh, that's helped end World War II without other sailors and and military men dying, uh, invading Japan. Uh, unfortunately, we had to use nuclear energy to do that. But uh, without TVA, you know, a lot of much worse things would still exist today. And uh, but TVA is in a in a unique circumstance. I actually interned with TVA for a couple of summers. And when I worked for uh, Governor McWhorter and Governor Sunquist, um, because of that history and because of my history appreciation of the agency being this this incredible innovator that changed uh, the quality of life in the entire Tennessee Valley and that today is keeping energy prices lower than almost every part of the country in the United States and is the reason for why we can uh, have such a vibrant economy with cheap energy and cheap water because of the way they they manage the Tennessee River you know I, I found myself working with them on a regular basis and uh one of the things that we learned uh, was that, uh, you know, th- you know, they do what they know. I, 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 uh, uh, you know, they have coal engineers, they have hydroelectric engineers, they have nuclear engineers, they have natural gas peak power engineers, they have pump storage at Raccoon Mountain engineers. They don't have solar engineers. They don't have uh, ground source heating and cooling engineers per se. You know, so so they do what they know, and unfortunately, they've invested heavily in a new proposal to expand natural gas use in Tennessee and natural gas pipelines in Tennessee. Right. And they're using a fuel that is not going to be at the same price that it is that it is today, and it's not got an infinite supply. I mean, we're already fracking, you know, deep subterranean areas of the earth to push the last remaining bubbles of gas out of the ground. 
what does that tell you about how easy natural gas is to get? It's it's not wow. going to be any easier in the future than it is right now to get out of the ground. And so it's not a solution. Why in the world we're investing in that kind of infrastructure when we could be investing in other infrastructure? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's partly because we don't have the scale of the baseload energy and the and the peak energy to meet our our pretty inefficient use of energy right now in the Tennessee Valley. Uh, we're, we're among the highest per capita users of energy ourselves, so we have created really? the TVA problem for wow. all, all of us. Yeah. So that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. We're not going to be willing to tax ourselves to, right. to fix the problem. So we're kind of in this in this uh, you know, circular logic kind of problem. you know. But history says you know, that uh, we tend to fix things when we intellectually and experientially uh, mm-hmm. run into uh, big brick walls. And I, right. think we, I think we will. And we've got people talking about TVA in the media right now, yeah. helping them see, see the, a new light. Yeah, there's the TVA Coalition. Shout out to mm-hmm. Brady Watson mm-hmm. doing amazing work out there with SACE and um, just bringing a lot of things to mm-hmm. light. And it's mm-hmm. not about the attack, right? We're mm-hmm. not attacking. It's just we have to have, as citizens, as, as people in this community, we have to have our voices heard. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like there's been a lot of um, pro- or progress to take local voice out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's that just can't happen, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What is it, like, compared to Texas, mm-hmm. for instance, and so not that mm-hmm. big incident mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. with their grid, mm-hmm. what does that look like? In the you know America or United States, mm-hmm. what is why are there like different? How is it all tied together, and how did come Texas like had its thing? Yeah, yeah, it, it uh, you know states uh, under our federal constitution have enormous individual independent powers because that's how we came to be as a country. Right. We started off as kind of kind of colonies that eventually evolved into states that eventually evolved into a, a federal government infrastructure. And so uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority is a federally created entity, you know, so it, it's multi-state and uh, it, it has multi-state representation. Uh, and, and we have a lot more, we have a lot wider variety of resources at our disposal here. And we're part of the oldest energy grid, you know, in the continental United States, the eastern United States developed first. So we're already connected to ancient infrastructure and new infrastructure in the northeast and part of the midwest and and the deep southeast so we're able to share electrons very easily right i've actually been to the control room at tva where they can show you how they can move electrons you know from one part of the country to to the other and sometimes they have to dump energy off the grid when they have too much by the way it's kind of fascinating but uh, in Texas, they decided to go Texas. You know, they do what Texans do, go, <laughs> yeah. go big and go alone, you know, yeah. go independent. And so they, they decided to, to, to basically put a fence around their electric uh, network that, that made it a little more challenging, a little more difficult to trade right. electrons across the border. They also hired a private company to run it. Um, so, you know, that has legitimate incentives to behave the way they do, but that don't always have the incentive for everybody to, to afford it the same way and for everybody right. to get it in the most reliable way. And then they had a climate change event where a region in the world that almost never freezes, froze a lot deeper and a lot longer than it normally would, and things that would normally not freeze froze, including water that was mixed with natural gas within the pipeline that when, when, it, when it transferred from one pumping station to another, it came above ground and it froze. 
And so it stopped their natural gas, and, and, and then they had homes that flooded, so you have to cut off electricity when things flood. Man. And it, it just became this huge super mess. But it, it's indicative of all of the assumptions that we currently get to benefit from today that will have to change when climate change changes it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I have actually someone who her son is in school in, in Texas, mm-hmm. and she's got a question for us. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play that for us real quick. Hi, this is Tracy Utley, and I am a resident in Nashville, and I have a question around energy and vulnerability, meaning how um, confident are you in the infrastructure of our energy grid? Um, I have a child who lives in Texas, and after what happened in Texas last year with winter approaching, I am very nervous for him. Um, In addition to that, what do you feel like is our vulnerability for the possibility of some sort of attack on our um, energy grid? Thank you very much, and I look forward to hearing your answer. Yeah, I, you know, again, great, great leaders like Maris and I always choose hope because, you know, frankly, we're not in the business of scaring people. We're not in the business of telling people things are bad unless they need to know something is bad so they can prepare for it. So, you know, being honest about bad things is critical as being right. a leader too. But in this case, you know, we don't have a lot of, you know, near and present existential dangers in the temperate areas of the United States. We have a lot of resiliency built in. We have a lot of different types of energy sources. We have a grid that's connected, as I said earlier, to other grids across the country. I actually have my students study the Eastern grid in the context of renewable energy so that they can understand the difference between, say, you know, gigantic nuclear power plants and coal plants that are in one location that are pushing electrons across several states to a system where now electrons are coming directly into my house from my roof because now I've got solar panels on my roof. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to get on the grid wow. if I don't want it to. So um, I, I think what she's alluding to is that Texas was the canary in the coal mine, you know, and we all need to wake up to that. Climate change will change assumptions here. And there are critics of TVA right now that have legitimate criticisms, and hopefully TVA will listen. Um, And um, uh, we have climate change that's going to change other assumptions and other partnerships and connections. And this is not the time to be, you know, to be building fences or to be courting off uh, relationships. This is the time to be less tribal and and more one tribe as, as a larger nation and fundamentally as a larger world. Man, I love that. Yeah, this is, um, let's try to do one more. I know we're running out of time in this last one, but thanks for that. That's, that's awesome. Thanks, Tracy, for tuning in. And I think Margaret here, her question is about hydro. Let's see. And a second question, what are some of the up-and-coming shifts that he is seeing or is aware of either locally in Tennessee or elsewhere um, from fossil fuels to renewable energy outside of, say, electric-powered cars um, that I don't believe are fully viable for the general population or mileage that is often driven 
or the affordability of those vehicles? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a fair question. I mean, skepticism is healthy. It makes us plan better. It makes us prepare better. Um, you know, let me see if I can kind of tick off some kind of common things that we're all associated with. You know, every time we change to a new technology, it's always clunky. It's always difficult. I remember when cell phones looked like uh, a brick and a half right. of, of mass with yeah. an antenna sticking out of it and didn't hold a very long charge and, and didn't, you know, would drop a call frequently around town and much less up and down the interstate. And now we know, you know, we have computers and phones and, and right. um, uh, um, enormous quality p- picture-taking capacity in addition to all these amazing apps in yeah. one device now. So that's an example of how technology evolves. So, I, I, I you know, it, it's fair to be skeptical, but the reality is, most things get better when everybody starts using them. Mm-hmm. Um, prices nearly always go down whenever everybody starts using them, unless the ingredients that go into the supply of the product are, are rare or, or not renewable. Right. Uh, most of the things that go into phones are renewable. Even though they're called rare earth metals, it's only because they're rare in the context of all the other matter in the planet. Mm. They're not unavailable and they're not small quantities because they're, quote, rare. It's just in the context of the larger planet. It was really bad branding when they when they labeled yeah. rare, rare earth metals that way. But in the context of electric cars and batteries, and batteries are getting better. I mean, I've, I've got... I remember when I looked at a, a Nissan Leaf on a hot day in the summer, and I, we barely got a 25-mile charge on it, and I, I didn't think we were going to get back to campus after taking somebody for a ride in it because the charge ran down so fast. Wow. And and uh, now we've got 350-mile batteries. We've got a, a, a $5.4 billion investment by Ford in Tennessee to build electric trucks, to right. build their own batteries, to recycle you, their own batteries. You may have just answered this question. This is the last one, then we're going to have to wrap up, but... Mm-hmm. Let's see what Grant had to say. This is Grant from Nashville and New York. I have a question about electric batteries. Um, While it's a good solution, the inputs and the costs associated with electric batteries are not sustainable and are uh, detrimental to the environment. Is there anything in the horizon um, that's going to make that less impactful on the current environment? Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, You're, I, you segued into batteries, and I had to put it in. Sorry, yeah. guys in the control room. We're almost done. We're almost done. Yeah, there, there's there's no way to make mining nice or, or to make it right. easy on the planet. You know, I, again, I, I go back to us. You know, it, it, it we created the behaviors and the technologies and the lifestyles that consume all this energy. Yeah. So, so you know. One, like like Michael Jackson said, look in the mirror. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm talking to myself. Nice. And and then and then secondly, um, yeah, there's no way around it. I mean, it it, it uh, mines are very disruptive. You know, they they rip up the planet. You know, fortunately, the deposits of rare earth metals kind of makes you wonder about the creator's wisdom. Uh, you know, when we end up with an existential threat like climate change that requires rare earth metals for batteries and for other other uh, renewable energy uh, yeah. technology, and it, it only exists in a few places in the world. And fortunately, the United States is one of the places where ex- where some of those elements, some of those key elements, right. exist in apple supply. They also exist in China, and I, I think the reason that 
you know, our creator created a situation like that is so that we would break down the, the anti-tribe, you know, bashing of China, even though they don't treat their people as well as they should. You know, we've got to get along with them so one day and, and find better ways to get along. We certainly don't mind buying their products yeah. and, and eating their food yeah. for most of us. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I don't know uh, enough about mining other than, you know, uh, cleaning up coal mines was one of the first things I did in my 20s and, and other mines, and they were horrible messes. They unleashed all kind of things that should have never have seen the light of day or, or been exposed to water, mm. and, they cr- and they've killed rivers. Yeah. I've seen other kind of mines out west do the same. You know, it's we're just going to have to figure out better ways of doing it and maybe be willing to invest in better ways of doing it which means not expect everything to be cheap and not expect everything to be easy. Wow. So, but that's my best answer. So thank you. That's great. And I, uh, um, thanks Grant. Thanks Margaret and Tracy for giving those great questions. Um, and thank you so much for being open to doing this today and answering those questions and to the best of your abilities with all of your knowledge and wisdom, because we don't have all the answers, but that's the point is to be willing to ask the questions and be willing to be vulnerable and be willing to all differences aside work together. Um, so again, we can't love the planet until we love each other. And we're not going to be able to see each other as human beings in this world without loving ourselves. And a lot of that comes from purpose. A lot of that comes from faith. A lot of that comes from hope. And as cheesy as it sounds, that really is. I mean, music it, music says it too. It's, it's all about love. Um, and it starts there. So um, thank you for being here. Uh, this has been an amazing episode a, and, and, and a fa- fascinating episode. Thank you. Great way to end um, the series. But I would love to have you on again sometime. I'd and love to. Um, I know that the guys want to talk to you more about the storm management stuff, um, yeah. storm water management, yeah. which I'm pretty interested yeah. in as well. So thank you for being here. Till the next uh, episode, remember to ask questions, inspire others to be, to be better, to do better, and we can do anything when we stand united. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Critical Root Zone. If you'd like to reach out, email us at criticalrootzone at gmail.com. Critical Root Zone is produced in Nashville, Tennessee, copyright 2022.